Kia ora. Welcome to this edition of the Morrisville Baptist Church Podcast. Thank you for connecting with us to discover more about our faith community. Feel free to visit our website at morrisvillebaptist.com. I hope this message is an encouragement to you. Uh, I'm going to say invited, but it was sort of I just turned up. There was a rugby game up in Auckland and uh, and I ended up playing. That's probably the safest way of saying it. It wasn't at a great elite level or anything like that, but we were hugely competitive. And um, there's this moment in the game where we're camped in our 22, in, in our 22, and we've been defending for ages. There's this massive pressure on the game. I can't even remember who won or who lost, but I just remember the feeling of this moment. And all of our backs had been like sucked into this into this breakdown and for some reason, I found myself out in about the first five position. I looked out, I had a winger way out there. But other than that, there were two of us marking about six guys. And I was sitting there on the, on the try line going, oh, this isn't going to go down well. And we had um, someone in our team manage to, to win a turnover. And so the ball comes to the back of the ruck. And I'm sitting there in that split second before I re- receive the ball, thinking about what's going to happen next. And here I am going, there's this incredible pressure. We're under pressure here, and I need to get us out of pressure, and I need to kick that ball as far as I can and out so that we can you know, reestablish up there and, and start again. So here I am, and I'm channeling all these thoughts about all these years where I've turned up early before practice and stayed long after practice, practicing my perfect spiral punt, all those years of playing force back and dominating everybody else. I'm... I'm you know, glorifying uh, the situation. Anyway, so catch this ball, imagining all of these things, and I line it up and I boot it, and I'm looking way down here, and the ball goes straight into the opposition wingers, and he drops down for a try. And I feel about this big. You know, under pressure, I failed miserably, absolutely miserably. And I think we've all seen occasions, I don't know, watching sportsmen or whatever it might be, where you know, someone's got this massive runaway and they drop the ball over the try line because they're trying to celebrate too early. Or I remember watching a, um, as an international game and the person got up to sing the national anthem, a professional singer, and the music started. And when they were meant to start singing, they didn't sing because they forgot the words to our national anthem. You know, there are times when we are under pressure and we falter. It's tough, eh? It's tough when we face situations in our life. And uh, and this morning, we're going to look at Matthew 26. And this is a passage where we see Jesus in a situation where he faces more pressure than anybody else will ever face. And what we see in this passage is we see Jesus who remains faithful even while he's under pressure. And so this morning, as we look at this passage... What I want to do is look at five things that Jesus does that help him to remain faithful under pressure. And, uh, and I believe these are things that we can apply into our lives. They're very practical, so that help us to stay faithful when we're under pressure. Does that sound useful? Yeah, it does. <laughs> That's good. We're on the same page. Um, I apologize. I don't have a fancy PowerPoint, but I do have the Bible, which is better. That's not a joke, that was serious, but you're allowed to laugh. Um, we do have the Bible and we have the Holy Spirit within us. And uh, it's, yeah, with Richard and Alana both being on leave this week, it's, it's, been a, it's been a very busy week. But I believe that God's Word is ready for us this morning. So if you have your Bible, can you open to Matthew chapter 26? And we're going to read from uh, verse 31. It says, Then Jesus told them, 
This is talking to his, his disciples. This very night you will all fall away on account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I've risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. I tell you the truth, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples said the same. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed. My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away, unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and he went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour is near and the son of man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us go, here comes my betrayer. Just want to add that that uh, terrible situation I found myself in. We're actually awarded a penalty and the trial was disallowed, so I was let off the hook. Thought I'd just better put that out there. The first thing we see in the situation, five things. First thing we see is that Jesus faces the situation. He doesn't run. He doesn't hide, he faces it. And there are some who would say that Jesus heads down into the garden of Gethsemane to to run, to hide, to get away. The Bible would would suggest otherwise. We're told in John that that Judas knew this place, he was familiar with this place that Jesus was going. Some scholars believe that, that Jesus had probably prepared his disciples that after the Lord's Supper, they were gonna head up to this place to camp for the night. And therefore, Judas would have known exactly. It doesn't say that, but we can, we can appreciate there is some wisdom in that thought. What I'm trying to say is that Jesus does not hide from the situation. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to prepare, to pray, to seek the will of the Father. Interestingly, Gethsemane, what it means is the oil press. It's the place where they take the olives from the region and they would press them, they'd crush them, they'd take them through this process to extract the, uh, the purest of oil. Yeah, and I don't think there's any, consequ- uh, any coincidence in the fact that Jesus chooses this place because there is a great pressing that is going to happen in his life as well. Notice what Jesus said. It's a very interesting way to start this passage. He says, This very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. 
Now this, Jesus is quoting uh, something that was prophesied about him, very personal. This comes from Zechariah in, uh, in chapter 13. And if you read Zechariah, you'll see that, that this quote, what he's quoting, makes a lot of sense. When he's talking about the shepherd that will be struck, he's talking about himself. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about our Messiah. The sheep that will be scattered are his followers. And the part that might be tricky to take is that the person, the one who strikes him, is in fact God the Father. And we read in Isaiah 53 that it was the Lord's will to crush him and to cause him to suffer. I want to make it really clear that although Judas is the one who betrayed Jesus, although I'm sure Satan took great delight in watching him tortured, put on trial, put on the crucif- uh, crucified and, and eventually killed, it wasn't Judas, it wasn't man, it wasn't Satan, it wasn't some crafty work of the enemy, it wasn't some military power or, or Jesus wasn't a victim of circumstance, it was God who had planned and ordained this to happen. Now, that might be difficult for us to understand, and I'm hopefully going to uh, make that a little bit clearer later. But what we need to understand is that Jesus saw the situation and he knew the depth of it. Last week, Will talked to us about the first part of this chapter, where the disciples and Jesus' good mates gather and they have a meal. And Jesus doesn't just uh, have, a, have a chuckle and a good time. He starts to pour out his heart to these guys. And what does he tell them? He talks about how his body will be broken, about how his blood will be poured out. The disciples understood, well, they should have understood what, what was happening because Jesus had talked to them. But what's more is when we look at that, we understand that Jesus knows full well what it is that he is about to face. And what I'm trying to say here is this first thing that Jesus does is he does not hide. He faces the situation. The second thing he does is he gathers his good friends. He gathers his good friends and he asks them to pray. Let's read from, uh, let me see, verse 36. And he says, sorry, then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane and he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. I think we can all uh, appreciate that Jesus could have faced this on his own. He is all powerful, isn't he? (laughs) But he chooses to take his closest friends with him. And what does he say? He asks them to watch. And later on, he says, ask them to watch and to pray. There's a, um, there's a passage in, in um, Exodus, Exodus 17, that has, I don't know why, but it's always kind of stuck with me. And it's, uh, th- there's this moment where the Israelites are at battle with the Amalekites. Uh, Joshua is leading the army. Moses is up on the hill, and, and he's got his staff. And whenever he's got a staff up high, the, the Israelites have the advantage in battle. But obviously, as time goes on and he grows weak and he can't hold that up, the Amalekites start to take advantage in battle. And what happens is a couple of Moses' good mates, Aaron and her, they come up and they place a rock down and then Moses sits upon this rock and they take an arm each and they lift it up. And they help him hold that staff so that the Israelites have victory. 
I want to ask the question, who are the Aaron's, who are the hers in your life? This is something that um, I haven't done super well in my life. <laughs> I've always been a bit of a lone ranger. But in the midst of that, I've faced situations where I've tried to do things in my strength and have failed miserably. I'm not talking about that terrible kick. <laughs> Mind you, yeah. Um, and, and the problem is that there have been some times where I've had victories. But when I've faced serious trials in my life and I've relied on my strength, often what that does is it sows fear in me. It sows doubt in me. It damages me. And worse still is, is I've hurt other people in the process. And I've hurt the message of the gospel. And I've learned through these times that um, what I should be doing is asking the Lord to provide people in my life. And so I have prayed and I've asked God to raise godly men and women to stand with me in times. I praise God for my wife. I don't know what I'd do without her. <laughs> but these other people as well who I've invited to have authority in my life, to speak into my life, to observe the way that I parent, to observe the way that I am as a husband, to observe the way that I minister or the way that I present myself. And I've given them authority to speak into my life. And that's hard to hear at times, but man, it sharpens me and it strengthens me. And most importantly, I've asked people to stand and fight in prayer. And uh, there's been times where, where Melissa and I have faced situations and we've asked people to pray. And man, you can feel the power of that prayer. Has anyone felt the power of prayer when they're in a tough situation? Yeah, it's precious, eh? The most important person that we should have in our corner and in our inner circle is Jesus. Who is the greatest teacher? Who is the greatest comforter? Who is the greatest counselor? Yeah, who is the greatest... It's Jesus. And as we draw near to him and as we seek him, you know, there we find strength. So the second thing that Jesus does after he faces his situation, he gathers his closest friends. And these friends, uh, we're talking about Peter and the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And these three, there's been a number of occasions where Jesus takes these three with him. Uh, the first, I think, is uh, uh, when he goes to the house of Jairus. Do you remember the story? Jairus's daughter has died, and Jesus, with his three mates, Jesus raises Jairus' daughter from the death. He conquers death. Even death cannot stand in the power of Jesus. The other occasion is when he goes up on the mountain, and these three witness Jesus transfigured. There's an amazing story there, if you want to read it, about how they witness Jesus and, and how he has a conversation with Moses and Elijah. They see Jesus when he is glorified through death. And then there's this occasion where Jesus brings them into the Garden of Gethsemane. Ultimately, this will be a time when Jesus surrenders to death. And these are significant moments in his life. And as I said, Jesus could have done this on his own, but he sees the value and the importance of having the right people good people to stand, to watch, and to pray in our lives. And that brings me to the third thing that Jesus does, and that is he prays. And if I read from verse 39, it says, Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. 
Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour, he asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. He went away a second time and he prayed, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. And when he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and he prayed the third time saying the same thing. How many times does Jesus pray the same prayer here? Three times. You may have heard people say that if you pray the same prayer more than once, then you lack faith. I believe that God hears our prayer the first time. But I know from my experience that uh, sometimes I have to pray the same prayer about 100 times before I take time to listen to what God's got to say. (laughs) It's a bit of a reflection on the way I listen. Um, Jesus prays three times. And when we face situations in our life, we need to commit to praying and praying and praying, praying some more and praying. Kelly talked about prayer just before. You know, we, we, uh, we talk about prayer as being one of the most important parts of the foundation of our faith. We talk about prayer being the engine room of our faith. We have an incredible gift in prayer, this ability to come before an almighty God and show him our heart, to petition him, to plead with him, to ask. Incredible gift, but how often do we not pray? (laughs) How often do we rely on our own strength? You know, I think there's times in life where we need to continually pray and commit to praying. And uh, if that takes weeks, if that takes years, if that takes decades, I think we need to commit to praying. There's a story, how many of you are familiar with Daniel? Yeah, so um, Daniel, he's an incredible figure. Here's Daniel over here, he's an incredible figure as well. We named my son, uh, my second son is named Daniel very much named him after Daniel over here. No, we, we named him after Daniel in the Bible, and it's because Daniel stood in a time of such darkness and was such a light. He remained strong and he remained faithful under the pressure of a world that was crushing. In Daniel 10, we read a story where Daniel's been praying and fasting for three weeks, and he, uh, he meets this angel. And uh, this angel, I'll read it to you, um, Daniel 10. He says, do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, listen to this, your words were heard, and I've come in response to them. He'd been fasting and praying for three weeks. That might not sound like a long time, but it's a long time without food. The angel says that his prayer was heard from the moment he started. As we dig a little bit deeper, as we read more in that, we start to see that what's happened is, although the prayer's been heard, Daniel doesn't see the answer to prayer in the natural because there is something happening in the spiritual. And it has taken that time for that battle to happen in the spiritual before that angel has come in answer to Daniel's prayer. And we don't know what is happening in the spirit. 
When we pray, we may not see an answer to prayer, but we need to continue to pray and trust that God is doing something. For we know that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Um, while I was preparing, I, I felt that, um, I'll just put it out there, that there was somebody here who had been praying for a long time. When I say a long time, ah, catch yourself. <laughs> I mean decades, like a long time. And, um, and I believe that God has answered your prayer. And I believe you've got a testimony to share this morning to encourage us. So if that's you, um, if you've been praying for years and God's answered that prayer, can I encourage you to come up and share that with us now? And while you're sweating about it, I know there's someone here. If you've prayed for years and you've experienced an answer to that prayer, I believe that there's something in your story this morning that God wants to use to encourage us. say Deborah that is the daughter crikey no well it's lovely to see you come on up bless you for your courage oh okay hi everybody I'm Linda Galloway um love being here thanks Tom for this <laughs> um, you're welcome <laughs> Okay, I have been praying and praying and praying for our son, Stephen, and I am so rapt to share that he is sweet. <laughs> um, okay, he's been involved for many years, and unfortunately, through no fault of his own or our own, and the silly drug cannabinoids that were sold here in town, all those sort of things, okay? He is now working, he is fully employed, he is happy, he's a father of a gorgeous son, and I am so wrapped to share this with everybody because I am so proud of him. Fantastic. And that's through that big fellow upstairs, okay? Because I've been praying and praying and praying. How many years have you been praying? A hell of a long time. <laughs> <laughs> Since he's about 14, 15? Yeah. He's 20, nearly 30, he's 29. And through this big fellow upstairs, I call him the upstairs, yeah. um, he has heard my prayers. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Linda. I thought about this and I wondered if we all sat down and wrote down the answers of prayer that we've had in our life, I reckon we'd be able to fill this building with books. If you don't believe in the power of prayer, I'm going to give you a challenge this morning. I could give you a few challenges. I'm going to give you one challenge, and that is before you leave this building, I want you to talk to someone, anyone, and if, uh, if that's a bit confronting, come and talk to me. And I want you to ask them a simple question. How has God answered your prayer? any prayer, and I want you to listen. That's my challenge to you. There is power in prayer, and it is an incredible gift. 
And what we see as we move on to the fourth thing, as Jesus prays, we see a change in Jesus. And that change comes when he submits to the will of the Father. You see, when he, when he brings his disciple, uh, brings the three in, we see he says that he is overwhelmed with grief to the point of death. How often do we see in the scriptures times where Jesus is, is not in control? There's not really any situations, are there? But here we see Jesus who was moved to a point where he is in deep grief. And what does he do? He prays, he prays, he prays, and each time he prays, he submits his will to the Father. Let me read to you from, uh, from verse 39. I need my glasses. Why did I take them off? Going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And further on, he says, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. This cup that he talks about, we read the Old Testament, the reference to the cup is the cup of judgment, where God will pour his wrath out upon the sin of this world. When Jesus hangs on that cross, he hangs on this cross as every murderer, as every adulterer, as every liar, every sinner, you and I. Upon him is the weight of the world, every sin. And at that moment, God will turn his face from him as God's wrath is poured out. So when he talks about this, he's saying, God, is there any other way that this can happen? Is there any other way? Is there some magic potion that you can give your people to satisfy what's going on? Is there someone else? Is there any other way? And the reality is there is no other way, and we know that because the Bible tells us the only way is Jesus. And he has this question, this why. Well, I imagine there was this why, I should say. I was, um, I was at a funeral this week, uh, yeah, over in Matamata, uh, Sean, the, the pastor at Matamata, who tragically died a couple of weeks ago, and um, amazing service. His wife, Jess, got up to speak, and uh, oh, just her bravery was incredible. But she talked about this why question, you know, why God did this happen? Why did this have to happen? Why am I in so much pain? And she was talking about this why question, and she, she mentioned about Sean, how some years earlier they'd faced a really difficult situation where uh, they'd lost a child. She was pregnant, and they lost the baby. And she said to Sean that she was like absolutely like just in so much pain and grief. And she said, why did this have to happen to us? Why would God do this? And Jess, at this funeral, she says, do you know what Sean said to me? He said, we're always going to have why questions. There's always going to be times where we don't know the answer. But he said, we can't spend our lives focusing on the things we do not know. Rather, we should focus on the things that we do know. And he said to her, what do we know? We know that we have a good father. He will never leave us nor forsake us. 
We know that if our God is for us, who can be against us? We know that we have a place waiting for us where we will be without pain, without suffering, with joy, you know, and eternity with those that we love. And he said, we've got to focus on those things that we do know. And uh, this is what Jesus knows. He knows that the will of his Father is the right, the right will. It is the right way to go. And so he surrenders his will. Why, God? I surrender myself to you. And I believe for us, this morning when we're facing situations, one of the places we have to come to is where we just say, Lord, I don't understand this. It doesn't make sense to me, but I trust you, and I want to surrender this into your, into your hands. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done in my life today as it is in yours. When I was 14, I... Um, I was in my dormitory, I was at a boarding school, and, uh, and I got on my knees and I prayed. <laughs> I was at a bit of a crossroads, you see. I was, I'd go home in the weekends and I was this lovely little Christian boy who knew all the songs and dressed well. Not that well, not as well as Nick. Um, and I'd come back to boarding school and I was this complete different person. And it was tiring, it was tiring being two people. And I, I really felt that I needed to commit to living one way or the other. And I got on my knees and I repented. I said sorry. And I cried out to God that He would be my Lord and Savior. But I prayed this prayer that um, <laughs> I don't know why I prayed it. It was a stupid prayer. Um, but I looked, well, no, it wasn't. It was a fantastic prayer. But at the, yeah, let me tell you what it was. So on my knees, I prayed, Lord. When my desires and my plans get in the way of yours, take them away from me. Even if it hurts. He's answered that a few times and it's hurt. <laughs> but I'm so thankful. I wasn't a very wise 14 year old but I got that right. And I just encourage you, in times when you're at a crossroads, submit to his will. I wasn't intending on getting emotional at all this morning. Must have been that smoothie I had for breakfast. A very manly breakfast indeed. Um, what happens is Jesus, when he, when he submits to the will of the Father, we see a change, right? So here he is, he's, he's overcome by grief. And then the next thing we see is he goes back to his disciples and he says, rise, behold, here comes my betrayer. And he faces his situation front on. And over the next few weeks, we'll look at uh, the, the passages that look at the trial, the torture, the crucifixion, and ultimately the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to take notice as we go through those if you ever see Jesus falter, he is in control the whole way through. He remains faithful under pressure and his boldness and his courage is amazing. And what we can learn from this is that in this prayer, in this time when he submits to the will of the Father, what happens is, is there's a transition when he s submits to the will of the Father where he's filled with peace, 
He's filled with the Holy Spirit and he is full of confidence and boldness. He is aware of the Lord's plan. But the most important thing is that he knows that he is walking in the will of the Father. And I want to say to you, when you are walking in the will of the Father, the confidence that we can have in that place, even though we might not understand it, is amazing. And I want to say to you, if you're facing something that feels unbearable, it feels like whatever decision you make, it's not going to be the right one. If you submit to the will of the Father, whatever you walk in, he'll be with you and he'll support you and he'll strengthen you. Psalm 121, what does it say? I look to the mountains. Where does my help come from? It comes from the Lord. He will not cause my feet to stumble. He will watch over me. You know, in all of this, the situation does not change. You know, Judas doesn't get lost. <laughs> the disciples don't build a rebellion. God doesn't change his plan. The situation, the circumstance stays the same. Our circumstances won't necessarily change. But there's a process we can go through where we call in those, when we face it, when we call around us those people who will pray, who will hold us accountable when we submit to the will of the Father and ultimately where we're filled with his power as we surrender to his will. Our situations probably won't change, but we can change in the way that